Hey guys, this hey. is Derek. Hey Derek. Hey Derek. Hi Derek. Are we allowed to tell people what today is? It's December sixth. Which is an important day for you in your life. Well, kind of. It's Derek's birthday. Yay. Yeah, he got his free Starbucks this morning. Ooh. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. left without taking the hot dogs for the chili <laughs> this morning. Like Wait. for lunch, we were having no. Um, but for lunch, we were supposed to have chili, which we did, and it was great. But I forgot the hot dogs because I was so excited about Obviously, it wasn't Skyline chili because you actually probably enjoyed it. Right. It was not. Yep. Um, we also have Nick here. Hey! We got Will here. Hey! And we got Lizzie here. Yay! Guess what, guys? Banana pants. I oh, that's almost got into a confrontation with a buzzard today. <laughs> a buzzard? Yeah! My, okay. We cleaned out our shed yesterday. And, and the wind blew the garbage <laughs> bin open, so it was on top of the garbage bin in it, digging things out of. And there was stuff all over the place. And he was not as scared of me as I feel like he should have been. <laughs> okay. And then he watched me while I picked up all the trash, and then he flew away when I closed. <laughs> yeah, buzzards are scared of people. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, but they also Cars. generally don't attack people. No. That's true. At least I'd rather have a dead thing. Yeah. So, <coughs> anyways, that's or not Chihuahua. what we're talking about this week. Last week we talked about uh, the B attitudes. B um, attitudes. And today we're going to continue on with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, see how far we can get into Matthew five. So, we'll be talking about salty and lit. Boom. That wasn't as cool as I thought it would be, but um, I, I think is. you just—I think you just tried. You were waiting for like the '90s like graphics to just like boom, boom, boom over the screen, oh, but yeah. this is a podcast, so and it's just an audio podcast. Even it's not even video yet. Yeah. So, don't you love our ramblings? All right, so we we're gonna see where this goes. So, welcome to the Truth Response. Hey. All right. Nick, can you pray for us today? Mm. He doesn't trust either one of us, mm. Will. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the amazing grace that you pour out upon us. We thank you for a uh, season that we're called to reflect on on you specifically. The word Christ is all over the place in, in our community, uh, on the TV, on the radio, in print. Um, and there are a lot of people who don't really care much for it, but... Uh, but nonetheless, the collective breath of, of this Christmas season is Christ. And Lord, I pray that this is a time when your, your name is made known and is made great, as it certainly is. And uh, Lord, that this time that we're called to come together and to share and to study and to speak and to dive in deep to, uh, to your word and to your truth, uh, Lord, that you will provide your incredible wisdom to us. Uh, Lord, guide us in this time, guide us in our discussion. Lord, let your spirit be here with us and speak through us. And we praise you for the amazing grace you give to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 5 today. Yep, starting at verse 13. 13. 13, mm. 13 to 16. 13. Hey, let's point out Taylor Swift's favorite number is 13. Look at that. Oh. You want me to read this? She's also so we can hashtag devil, Taylor apparently. Swift on this now. Yeah, actually, okay. probably we could. I mean, 
Why I'm bad at hashtags. That's just what they say, why man. Gotta, I'm just saying what the people gotta, say. Why you got to diss Taylor Swift? Bro? I'm just saying what the people say. Yes, Lizzie. We people want you say to that she is a witch. I'm, I'm, that's all I'm saying is what's what people say. I'm not saying that's what I say. Then why you got to echo that? I'm just bringing it out there. You brought her up. Yeah, don't slander her on our podcast. Come on, man. All right. Yeah, bro. We got a Chiefs fan in the room. And Matthew 5.13. I need them to win. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, I like your version better than mine for one verse, and that's 15. It says put it under a bowl. Mine says put it under a basket. Baskets burn. <laughs> it would be dumb, but it would still go off light. You know? Well, it's interesting. So the salt that he's referring to isn't actually a seasoning salt. It's a lighting salt. So they would use light. They, they would use salt. They would burn salt for light. And so when it loses its saltiness, it could no longer burn and therefore provide light and warmth of which you needed in that region. I'm I wish there's a lot. They mean more than just like, that. It's I, just to preserve, like you can preserve stuff with it. It flavors things. I just think people need to lose their saltiness. Get over themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Are we waiting for some 90s <laughs> graphics again to go? Burr, burr, burr. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm, I'm a nerd. You're a yeah. 90s nerd. Well, I think I when reading through this, like the second half of 16 is what really like jumps out to me. It, you know, it says in the same way, let your light shine before others. And then I think people stop there and then they don't, you know, want to move on to that next part that says that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. You know, that, that I, th- I think that is something important to talk about because there's some, important. there's some things that like, Jesus talks about, you know, not showing others. And then now it's saying so that others may see your good works. Like maybe we should explore that a little bit and explain that because uh, it seems like some contradictory. Let's go back. What is salt good for? Preserving. Besides making my corn taste delicious. Preserving. Back in the day, preserving stuff, food and make it last longer and stuff, meats and stuff. Yeah, we have meats. And flavoring. Flavor. It preserves, it flavors. It makes really good chips. It makes good chips. I bet they were making good chips back then. I bet they were. With fish gut dip. Ooh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nope. Apparently William says it was meant for burning as well. Mm-hmm. You would burn salt so that it could light things. Burn and light. Mm-hmm. The only reason why I know this, I just wrote an eight-page paper on it. Hmm. What did you get on that paper? Hmm? Was that paper scored yet? Mm-hmm. What did you get on that? An A. Hmm. Now, did you get an A because it was correct, or did you get an A because... No, actually, it was supposed it was to be an APA paper. format, and I wrote it in MLA format. No, I'm a terrible writer. I got A's, or, well, I got B's. I got 89's on things because I'm a good writer, but I don't know. I'm a terrible writer. I'm, I write like I preach, which is dyslexic. Liz Dexic. Okay. What were you getting at, though? I think it's important to understand the the reason why Jesus would use the concept of salt. Because we look at it and we just think, well, there goes my blood pressure. Right? Mm-hmm. Jesus provides you good blood pressure? 
No, no I, you, I, you I look at too it much like, salt. You have high blood pressure. At least that's what they say. Okay. Although my translation literally says, "If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored?" Have you ever had salt that's lost its saltiness? I have not, because like, how does salt lose its saltiness? I don't know. It, it absorbs into my body. I don't know. <laughs> um, usually water. Water helps it. Dilutes it. Dilutes it. But then you have salt water. And it tastes salty. How does? How about you have a water softener, right? Yeah. Does your water taste salty? Then it uses know. salt to soften your water. If it's working right. I mean, I have the, I have the scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> salty uh, scars. I, why do you have scars? Should we be concerned? No. Oh, no, our salt, our okay. tank. We are rabbit tank. trailing too deep. Our salt tank wasn't working, and so I dug out like 50, 60 pounds of salt that was wet, and the water was brown, and I scraped something, my arms on the side of it. Something interesting about that salt, though, is that like it's if it green, sits right? for a long period of time, it melds together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even though it's in like tablets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like pellets, yeah. And it weighs a lot, mm-hmm. which kind of blew me away. I didn't understand why it weighed a lot, but it weighs a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like a salt system in a pool. A lot. So, okay. Why would Jesus compare to salt? It's everywhere. Because it was something common that they would use for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes so it was this. used as a weapon. Throw it in people's eyes? No. They used to, like, when you would take over an enemy's territory, you would salt their fields so that they wouldn't oh. be able to grow anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think of that as a weapon, but, yeah, I understand it is what a you're saying. No, nope, you're chemical right. You're right. War- That's like the OG chemical warfare. Yeah. Look at the Israelites. <laughs> That's off to them. I'm pretty sure the Israelites didn't invent that. Oh. Who did? Let's do, let's like, do some research ah. on that. <laughs> the Canaanites, probably. Um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Mm-hmm. So ice remover is what it becomes good for. Mm-hmm. But where they were, there was no ice. I was about to say, yeah, it was the desert. They didn't have I think ice. it's cold there. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't snow, does it? Mm. I think it does in Jerusalem. Oh, does it? I think so. Uh, Not a lot. Do they sing, I'm dreaming of a white... Jerusalem. Probably not. The white Hanukkah. <laughs> white Hanukkah. <laughs> Just like the ones of the Maccabees. Wow. Where the oil was running out. But then it burned all through the night. So, I mean, this it makes, this is kind of a self-explanatory thing i think it it's a simple concept but i think so often maybe we can lose sight of being salty because because we get salty um because there's something fresh and vibrant about salt right like when you sit down and you have a dish right if we're thinking about how it seasons things right if you sit down and you have a dish and you're like oh this needs something it adds vibrance it adds it adds life back into a dish right you have to think about so adding saltiness to the Christian, add vibrance and, and relevance back into the Christian. It's not just, um, 
it's not just something that preserves, but it's also something that adds flavor and life and gives new purpose to, right? Because if you ever sit down, you're like, ooh, like you sit down, you have some like bland rice. You're like, ooh, this needs something. And you put a little bit of salt on it, you're like, ooh, this gives it life and purpose. And, and Gordon Ramsay, it's bland. You watch way too many oh, cooking shows. salt. You, you watch way too many cooking shows, my friend. He does. He really does. But like... I mean, I can't blame them. I watch too many water park shows. Um, and so, I mean, part of that is Jesus is also saying, don't, don't become like, don't become worn out on, on life. Like, you know, it's Jesus, the son, he is the salt and he is the light. And so he's, he's saying like, like be connected to your father. He has, he has, he has things for you. And so. Yeah, what reveals the goodness, like the purpose of salt and light? What's the unique, the unique um, feature and function that both of them would have in common that he would be speaking to in all of this? What makes them important? Their necessities? Okay. I don't know, but... Well, I mean, the thing is, is they only, they're only useful, they're only revealed when they come in contact with something else. Mm. So think about salt. Salt is only a preservative because it touches the thing that it's meant to preserve. It's only used to take something from bland, right, to flavorful when it comes in contact with something else, right? It only actually removes or however a water softener works, it softens your water when it comes in contact with the water that is not so soft. Um, and light equally, you think about light, its usefulness is, is in what it reveals, is in what it presents, is in what it provides. So there is this mode of contact. And with this, he's saying you're the light of the world. Town bed on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl or put it under a basket which then catches on fire um so you don't take it it has to be revealed it has to come in contact with the darkness in order for the darkness to flee Hmm. so none of these things operate in isolation okay that's an important thing it's important feature yeah because when you think about the beatitudes Mm-hmm. They're all meant to reveal. So this is a follow-up to those beatitudes. This is the follow-up to, hey, here's how you ought to, here's how you ought to live. Here's how you ought to interact. Here's here's who you are as a follower of Jesus. Right. And then he goes on to say, oh, by the way, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are these things. And when you take those attributes of the beatitudes and you present them to the world and you collide with the world. When you collide with the thing that you are called to help preserve, when you collide with the thing that you are help, called to make more flavorful, flavorful, when you collide with the darkness of the world that you're meant to reveal the light in, that's where your usefulness comes into play. Yeah. And another thing that they have in common is that they're both something that people would have used every day sure so like it's talking about this like you are the salt of the earth and like you are the light of the world like it's something that we use every 
single day. Like, and that's who we are and what we're supposed to be as Christians is be out in the world, doing things in the world, showing our light, showing the appropriate saltiness. <laughs> but not being salty. Yeah. And well, just, that's, that's your concluding statement there then, right? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. <laughs> Granted, there's, you know, Jesus kind of kind of presenting that with the light piece of that, but it ties the whole section together. So others are meant to experience all of this. So we're supposed to experience saltiness? Yeah. But not as long as it glorifies God, right? Well, and it's important to point out that saltiness means something different today than it did then. And that's an important thing. You can't just... I I get tired of people thinking you can just read surface-level... Bible and understand it all. I mean, there is something to be said for the Holy Spirit. I get that. The Holy Spirit can absolutely reveal things and does reveal things when you read Scripture. But if you took that at face value, today those words mean something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, because we got a whole lot of salty Christians who aren't salty Christians. Ain't that confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah so crazy dude just how everybody just always wants to fight with everybody else in the church it's like there's always something that somebody's like ah you're a heretic for that you're that's blasphemy for that like it, it, just get over yourself I, I just want to say that so often like in all these pastor groups just get over yourself man get over yourself hmm. who are you doing this for I think pride, yeah, right. When did this start being about you? Right. <laughs> I think that pride is probably the most accepted sin, but yet, it, yeah, it's one of the f- most accepted sins, but yet we condemn it the most. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, don't don't sound prideful as I say that pridefully. Yeah. Like, well, it's crazy. So, like, very common things that tend to make their way through some of these pastor groups that that I'm on social media. Like, one is, um, like, how many. It always get, gets asked a couple times throughout the year, how many Sundays do you preach? And you always have those holier-than-thous who are like, I preach 52 Sundays a year, and I haven't taken a Sunday off in seven years because the Spirit of God says I ought to, right? It's like... Yeah, but the Bible doesn't. Boast. <laughs> Can you boast more, right? Like, or And then the same spirit tends to exist with the bivocational, too. Um, sh- is it right for me to take a salary from the church? I have never taken a salary from the church. I am I am just like Peter. Peter is bivocational. He was a tent maker, and I'm going to be that's, a tent that's maker pa- too. Paul, Paul was a tent maker. Oh yeah, Paul. Uh, Paul was a tent maker, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. So because uh, I'm like, a tent maker, it's it's crazy because like you have these trains of thought that tend to exist from pastors, right? From the people who are who are called to shepherd the body. And it makes you wonder why the the church in America is in such disarray. I mean, think about the the freedom, and the privilege mm. that we have in America to preach the gospel. You mean like you mean kind of like the Pharisees and Sadducees? Right. <laughs> they lost kinda their just salt. Like that. <laughs> they put their light under the lamp, and that's why they leave a bad taste in people's mouth. <laughs> Boom! There it is. You ever chew on a candle? That's what he's talking about, right? Yeah. I feel like all of us probably tasted candle as a child. Yeah. I don't think I on birthday cake. Really? Huh? On birthday cake. 
on birth. Oh, okay, that's a new flavor. I have not no, had birthday no. cake candle. Yeah. Birthday cake flavor. Oh, you're talking about <laughs> no, the wax. Yeah. Candle I grew flavor. up in a family of germaphobes, so like we never had birthday candles. We because you couldn't you blow on the candle, or you couldn't blow on the cake oh. because then your germs would be getting on the cake. And then one year I was a kid and I was salty, so I blew on my birthday cake, and half my family was like, "Well, no, I'm now not eating that." And it's like, whatever, more for Mo me. for me. For that's me. why I'm the shape I am, which is round. Round I is enjoy shape. my shape. I was going to say something. Anyways. But I'm not. <laughs> That's a different podcast for a different day, y'all. So, you're right, though. Like, I, I think that that... It's the, the pastors that have lost their saltiness, yeah. you know, and the church people. I mean, we'll just throw it on pastors. Yeah, I was about to say, all, it's not just pastors, all church it's people. Christians. The, the people who claim Christ <clears throat> but don't live like him... Mm-hmm. Um, have lost their saltiness. Yeah. They may have had it at one point in time, but they've lost it. And and they are the reason why um, people don't don't want to come to church, mm. don't want to get to know Jesus. Because if Jesus is anything like those people who have lost their salt, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them either, you know? Mm. So, yeah. I, I think one of the most profound things about this time of year, and I know you see them, is the bumper sticker or the car magnet says, put Christ back in Christmas. Mm. I want to make one. Oh, shoot. I could probably do this with a laser. Oh, shoot. Put Christ back in the Christian because I feel like that's highly more accurate mm-hmm. than put Christ mm-hmm. back in Christmas because if we start with putting Christ back in the Christian, then then we'll start to see change in our world. And so... Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just this whole uber consumerism, like feed me, feed me, feed me so I can get fat, give me more salt so that I can become, you know, happy with what I'm receiving. And I don't, I don't give anything and I don't do anything with the good news. Right. He says here that don't put a lamp under a bowl or for your, you put it on a stand, right? So it gives light to everyone in the house. The gospel is the, like Jesus is the light of the world. We Mm -hmm. should be showing Jesus off in a good way. Don't just put it under a bowl so that the bowl can get warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely <clears throat> the other side of that is we we experience the we come in contact with the light of the world who is Jesus. That's what John tells us. And then when that happens, we become these little lights. It's almost like he's the lighter and we are the birthday candle, right? Mm. Like he lights us. And then sometimes like you take the birthday candles and you light other candles, too. Right. It makes me think about sparklers. You ever, okay. Because yeah, yeah. when you light sparklers, right, you light one sparkler and then or it kind of like causes Christmas Eve service. Yeah. Well, I think it's also important. Like they, it mentions like a lantern, yeah. right? Um, we're the lantern. He's the light inside. Yeah. You know, we're just the vessel that's carrying it. That's a good analogy. Yeah. And Jesus did it. I might use that. Someday. Crazy. That's pretty good. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus got it going on. Yeah. I mean. I just wish his people would get it going on, yeah. on a mass scale. Right? I think like, it's cool. Too. Not saying nobody, but you, well, you're I right think that it hits all of us at some point. But like this is a season where where light is something abundant, right? We around Christmas season, people hang up lights. I noticed that in, at my house, we don't have to put on our our front porch light anymore because not that, like I don't Clark Griswold this thing. Like I've got some <laughs> lights that run around the perimeter of our house, and then some lights uh, like the the net lighting on our bushes in the front, but I can see fine now walking down the drive or di- walking down the, the, um, path, the path. Yeah. To the, the sidewalk, to the door. 
So it's amazing what a little bit of extra light can do mm. in an otherwise dark space. So we see all of this light that surrounds us. And the amazing thing is like, there is something that's tied to people's depression and <laughs> Christmas and Christmas lights specifically. And it's interesting that when, um, you know, there are therapists that say, however long you want to leave your Christmas lights up because they bring you joy, leave them up. It's like, well, this should be our every day. It shouldn't be about the light on the outside of our home. It should be the light on the inside of our heart. So what you're saying is, is I can leave my Christmas decorations on my front porch all year long. I'm not, I'm not saying I won't make fun of you for it because I will, but you can. Certainly leave. We actually leave our, our Christmas lights up till Three Kings Day, which is usually like the second Sunday in January. January 6th. January 6th. Same difference, which... No, it's not. No, it's, it's not the same. It's actually a set date. January oh, okay. 6th. Yeah, and people look at us funny because we leave them up after New Year's. It's because you don't speak Spanish. <laughs> people look at us funny because we've left them up till March before. <laughs> so People look at you funny because you just took down your Halloween decorations. <laughs> Yeah. And that's only because we didn't want to have both sets out through Christmas this year. Mm. So. I don't judge. We we normally have Halloween and Christmas up at the same time. Mm. Have we... uh, Beaten this dead horse. Have we been salty and lit? All right. Let's hit the next one. Oh, this one's a big topic. The fulfillment of the law. This could... This could go... Anywhere. Jesus was the OG abolitionist. So, Wizzy, do you want to read this? No. Wizzy? You've been reading it so far. So okay. Wizzy. You're doing so good. So good. No. 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Boom. Initial glance, it's kind of funny to me that he says unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees mm. uh, but the, like the scribes like they would have been the ones writing it down over and over and over and over and over so they would be like the ones that would know it the best yeah but that doesn't give you righteousness oh, right? no. like that's the thing that's the thing that just gets me is like they're the ones who rejected Jesus blatantly to his face like mm-hmm. in person you know yeah i mean back to lizzie's point like they they knew the law and practiced the law mm-hmm. as it was written more it was on thoroughly than anyone else it was het on head there in their mind but not their hearts right so they knew it i mean you weren't a, you didn't become a pharisee unless you had the torah memorized so yeah. they, they knew everything that they were supposed to do, and they did it. And that was part of the problem with Jesus, is Jesus revealed something more about the law that they were unable to see. Or that they were willing to accept. Or willing to accept, yeah. 
I mean, when you think about it, like when you do something right and then someone comes along and says, like, I, I can have some sympathy for the Pharisees. Like if you do something right and someone comes along and says, that's the old way, you got to learn this new way. Like I, I can sympathize with them and saying like, hey, like I would be a little frustrated. But then especially when Jesus starts performing miracles, I think that's like the first time, like the first sign when it's like, ooh, I need to see what this guy's up to because nobody's been able to do what this guy can do. And so... Um, you know, granted, there were miraculous works that God did throughout the entire Old Testament, right? We see that over and over and over again. But those were things that God abundantly did and made it clear that, hey, this was God who did this. And then when this Jesus guy comes along and he starts doing those exact things, there has to be something said about, man, this is a new way. Like, this is this is something different. I think that the reason why cults in America are so prevalent is because someone comes along and does something interesting and people are like, oh, shoot, we got to listen to this guy. Now, granted, I get it. I'm not saying cults are okay, and I'm not trying to compare Jesus to that because Jesus is the light of the world. Like, he is the son of God, and nothing compares to him. But you have to think about the Pharisees when they're they're thinking they're doing everything right, and then this Jesus guy comes along, and he changes everything. I mean, Jesus came exactly how... The, the scriptures said he would, and then he starts doing exactly what the scriptures say he would. So these people who have knowledge of this, they're waiting for this very thing. And then when it actually happens, it kind of takes them back. I think for a lot of us, maybe we ask God for something in our life, and then God actually does it, and we don't know what to do with it. Yeah, and I wonder sometimes, I, I don't think that the Pharisees understood that the Messiah would be God. I don't think that that was, I mean, it just couldn't have been because like they were astonished that he would claim such a thing, you know, that he had the authority to do the healing and he was the one who had the authority to forgive sins. And, you know, I don't know, like maybe that was the major miss, you know? I mean, well, I mean, it goes back to that point that I, I just made a moment ago about like when we ask God for something and he actually does it, like in a quicker time or maybe right in front of us, we're, we're kind of taken back. We're like, wait, God actually answered this like immediately or God answered this precisely how he said he would. I, I, I have a little sympathy for that because so often I'm like, all right, God, I'm just going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you to do this in my life or for you to reveal this to me. And then when he does, it's like, wow, God like came through and maybe it's me of little faith saying that. So maybe I just need to pray more. Press into God more. Well, and we've got to consider the parts of the law that were fulfilled by Christ. So talks about he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets. What is he speaking about? He's talking about what we call the Old Testament. He's talking about the the Torah, the Ketuvim, the Netuvim. He's talking about all of those books that we recognize as Old Testament books. So Jesus hasn't come to abolish those things. He's come to satisfy. He's come to be the fulfillment of. He's come to be the revelation of those things that were presented. He's come and he satisfied the letter of the law in a way that unlike anyone else ever did. And so with all of that, he ushers in something new and something dynamic it, it's it's kind of interesting because you when you look at the other the pastoral letters the epistles of the the new testament what do you hear over and over that peter paul 
eh, kind of James, um, John, uh, to some extent. What are they warning about? They're warning about false teaching because there were a group of Jews that were following along the missionaries that were Peter and his crew and Paul and his crew, and they were telling everybody, you have to be circumcised and follow all of these rules in order to be granted salvation. Not just Jesus saved you as you are, do the right things that are laid out here in his teachings and follow him. They're saying follow him and do all of these other things as well. Keep all of these holy days and all of these holy festivals and make all of these sacrifices in all of these ways. And Jesus is like, no, no. And, and how many times? Peter Peter and Paul primarily are the two like, no, you, you weren't called to be Jewish if you were a Gentile. You're called to be a Christian. You're called to be a Christ follower. So that doesn't mean you've got to change your cultural heritage in all of that, which is really kind of what Judaism is. It becomes a culture more so than it does um, a religion. Now, I guess you could say the same thing. Religion is a group of of beliefs that you follow. Um, but he's calling for something beyond all of those kind of things. So that isn't to say that there aren't deeds and actions that are to accompany that, right? You've got, you've got Paul preaching, you know, it's grace alone through faith alone. And then you've got James who comes and says, well, faith without deeds is dead. So both of those things can be true at the same time. And it's important to, to realize that those two weren't riding back and forth between each other. No. And I think that sometimes we read that like that's what's happening, mm -hmm. you know, because it says, ah, this here. Oh, but this contradicts it. You know, and I, they weren't writing to each other. Mm -hmm. They were addressing different different groups of people, mm -hmm. you know, like it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and that's one of those like, okay, see 13 through 16 uh, to that point, like you don't become a light and then stop sharing light, right? That's why you can't cover it over with a bowl and just kind of go about doing everything that you always did before or groping around in the darkness. Like there's something more that has to come from this. You are going to illuminate the world around you. You should be illuminating the world around you. You should allow the dark corners of every that exist in in your surroundings to be revealed and you should be a light for others so that they don't stumble so that they don't fall mm. as well so there's some there's some real real big tension that exists in all of this yes your salvation is by grace alone through faith faith alone in Christ alone but there is also something that you're called to live out in this life too that is going to reveal Jesus to the people that are around you. Yeah, as as we're looking at this and and pulling out the headings, right? Because like that's essentially what we're doing. We're not breaking these up as different things he's saying. Mm -hmm. We're trying to read through this and looking at looking at it that way. Um, he's he's saying, hey, you in order to do that, right? To be the salt and light, it, you have to do it with following these this way you have to be you know you have to be good to people you have to you know love your neighbor you have to you know do that and and the second half of that is also sharing me mm -hmm. the fulfillment of the law mm -hmm. you know so he's given them both of those things at the same time uh, how to 
this is how you do it. You know, this it's, is what this is what it looks like. It's interesting how we, you know, it's the sermon on the mount. It's not the sermons on the mount because a lot of times, right, when we in church will hear these broken up into multiple different but teachings. There are there is some school of thought that these are multiple sermons that were preached and compiled into one section in Matthew's gospel. So. We call it the Sermon on the Mount because the first thing we read is that he went up on a hillside and he started to preach. What we don't know is, was this one specific, cohesive, concurrent message that was preached? So, so far, it, it, it feels It works like together, it right? It does. It absolutely does all work together. Um, but we also have to keep in mind there could be some tension in that as well. Well, the... Not disagreeing with that, that the point that I was going to be going through is the first half of it is the attitude of the heart. And then the second half of it is the actions that come from a changed heart. Hmm. Because he start in the beginning, he starts talking about, right, all the different, right, the blessed are and it's 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 feelings, it's 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 heart posture. And then he starts talking about. What do you do because of this heart posture? And he goes on to talk about murder and he goes on to talk about adultery and all these things. These are actions of the heart. And so the first one is the inside. And then he starts revealing the character of either a person who has a changed heart or doesn't have a changed heart. He starts revealing that character. And so there in the middle, we have this section where he talks about, right, I am the fulfillment. Like he is laying. I feel like this is like the OG diss track for the Pharisees. But but also like. Okay, so you're looking ahead a little bit though too, and so looking ahead, yes, he's he's laying out the law is not gone. Let me interpret it for you, mm-hmm. and then he goes into anger and lust and and those things. I mean, here, let me let me show you the extent in which this is actually talking about. Let me let me fulfill this. Let me <laughs> fill you in, even, you know. I feel like this is maybe like Jesus is good. This is G- Professor Jesus's introduction to preaching class because you always have, you know, every good sermon, quote sermon starts with, well, this is the this is the background and this is the application. And so here Jesus is giving the background, the, the posture of the heart. And then he's this is how you apply it. Like this is the this is the revelation of what I just talked about. Right. If you're poor in spirit. Right. Not meaning that you're like you're empty of yourself, but you're you're so empty of yourself that you realize you need God. You're not going to have anger in your heart. Right. If you if your heart posture is away, you're not going to have the actions that he then goes on to describe in the second. half. Well, the Beatitudes really sums up the entirety of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the goal. Right. right? It's our it's our end goal. Yeah. Like Will was kind of saying, this is the Beatitudes are the introduction to all of this. And and everything can be measured against those blessed are or blessed are. Right. Well, however you want to say it, um, every all of these attitudes and these actions are measured off of that introduction that Jesus offers. There you go. Yeah. Professor Jesus, introduction to sermon writing, Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 5, 6, and 7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. So, um, I, I mean, I think embedded in there are, are definitely some things that we need to, to recognize. Is one is that the law and the prophets have importance and significance to them. 
And yeah. the way we understand Jesus best is by understanding them. doesn't necessarily mean we practice all of those things that exist in the Law and the Prophets, but it means that we understand that they point to something else. They point, they point to a life set apart. Yeah. They point to uh, a life that lives that goes against the grain, yeah. um, to quote our last sermon series, right? They, they, um, they operate in that way and that place and on that plane so that we can understand that Jesus satisfies those things in a more profound way than any person ever has. Because even as righteous as the Pharisees were, even, even as, uh, as they're called here, even as, as righteous as the Sadducees were and the teachers of the law and the scribes, you know what they still did? They still sinned. They still needed to offer sacrifices at the altar hmm. on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. Hmm. They still needed to do that. Jesus is the only one that didn't need to do that, and he, in fact, became the sacrifice on the altar. Hmm. We like to rabbit trail. We like to rabbit trail on here. Um, did Jesus sacrifice? Did Jesus sacrifice? Did Jesus do do the sacrifices? I mean, you think as a Jew he would have brought sacrifices? Well, you know there were sacrifices or whatever. You know that there were sacrifices for him, right? Him, his mom and dad, Joe and Mary, they came and they brought the the two doves because they couldn't afford anything better than that. So they they brought two doves and they offered a sacrifice for him redeeming their son, right? Because the firstborn belonged to the Lord. Um, and so that was their their act of redemption. But did he participate in bringing... You don't read anything about that. It's just an interesting But I feel like thought. he would have been ridiculed more if he hadn't have. But well, I, you, know like, made, you know he wouldn't. made pilgrimages to yeah. into Jerusalem, but... But I, I feel like it would have been mentioned like they would have spoke up against him and like leveled those accusations at him. Well, the dude is from Nazareth. Nobody cared. Hmm. Well, nobody cared then until it was too late. (laughs) It was too late. That sounds like a good intro to like a Jesus horror film. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just something I'd never thought about before. I like how you call them Joe and Mary. I mean, I get it. That's their names. But like, hey, we're going to go over to Joe and Mary's house tonight. You coming? They got their boy Jesus. He's over there making water. Wine. Wine out of water. <clears throat> hey, let's bring some water to Joe and Mary's house. Let's see if that boy can do what he said he'd get new. So <laughs> how mad do you think the Pharisees would would have been about that last line in the twenty? Like <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have even more righteousness than they do to get to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like they would have been like yeah. Yeah. Like, wait, oh, wait. Yeah, wait. Halfway there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were the they were the original journey. They were halfway there. Oh, they were living on a prayer. Don't don't mm-hmm. don't disgrace journey like that. What? I said don't disgrace journey. I know like we that. always I know we always kind of rip on the Pharisees and for good reason, but we also have to recognize that they were doing things that that were right hmm. for the wrong reasons for the yeah. wrong reasons yeah. right but they were they were they were living in some t- in some ways they were living incredibly sacrificially 
I mean, not not necessarily all of them, but you know, you you look at some of these guys that were maybe doing things on the up and up. I think about like Nicodemus. Think about him. Like he he, he knew there was something different about Jesus. So much so that he called him under the cover of night. Was like, tell me about you, right? And then Jesus offers some wisdom. <laughs> Like, you got to be born again. Wait, how do I get born again? I can't go back into the birth canal. Birth canal. No, no, you don't understand this. I'm born of both blood and water. What, Jesus? I don't get it. I do the sacrifices. I've been in the temple courts. I know, I know, I know the right prayers to pray. Yeah, it's more than that. Yeah, that's true. And, and they're a lot like, a lot of churches today. Yeah. No different. Well, I think about it too. Like, you see, or have you ever run into into people that like one thing about them or one aspect of them comes their whole personality. Mm. Like, and that that's kind of what we have here. Like, that's what like this one aspect, this one, the laws becomes their whole personality. Then, mm. well, and for for a time. I mean, you could even say kind of pre-Jesus. Well, that doesn't exist, but um, (laughs) pre-incarnation. Like the Pharisees and the the Sadducees had a really substantial place in culture. Mm -hmm. They were were the ones, right, that were really actively pushing back against the pagan culture that was creeping in through the Greco-Roman influence. So, I mean, their movement was birthed as a response to the Roman Empire and Mm -hmm. paganism and worship of many gods and all of these these unsavory kind of things. So where they came from was the right place. I feel like they're like the lawyers. I mean, that's what they were. Yeah. Yeah. This is how we do things. Yeah. They uh, they get a bad rep. we we judge them based on the handful, you know, that we know of. Sure. You know, well, I mean, the most powerful handful, yeah. right? Uh, but we do. We You're right. We do judge them. Like, it's the same as saying pastors are horrible because yeah. these couple of pastors, Cleflo and... Cleflo? It's Creflo. Creflo, Creflo, Creflo. whatever. Yeah, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. Why y'all got to rip on Creflo Dollar he, and, uh, William has a, a life-size um, picture of him. That's and unsettling. Lights candles to it. Well, it's right next to my life-size picture of Mickey and Torrance. Uh, that is even more unsettling. Um, but it's just like those guys, like right, giving all preachers a bad name. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I mean, not all pastors make a million dollars a year. Yeah, I th- it goes back to kind of maybe the idea of don't just generalize or don't just assume the full for the generalization, right? Don't assume that everybody who does, you know, who claims this one thing is this way. And one of the first, I remember Bible lessons I remember learning as a kid that really stuck with me was God made me individually, right? Whenever he formed me out of the earth, like... He made me unique and individual. Now, granted, I was learning this in an Episcopal camp, so they were probably 
pushing an agenda to young kids. But I remember that God made me different than you to have different personality than you. And so he didn't make me to be just like you, but you and I have the same thing on the inside, but we still have different character traits and we have different personalities. And so we have the same hope, we have the same salvation, but we have different personality traits. And I think that's something that so often we as people, we generalize, you know, hey, you're, you know, we're just going to group you into this camp because that's the best way we can. And, and I'm guilty of this too. Um, thinking that, oh, you know, maybe because you come from this tradition, maybe you're this way and you're all, you're just all that way. Right. And yeah. That's why there's a lot of good Baptist jokes. So that's why you invite two to go fishing. Exactly. So if you only take one, they'll drink all your beer. Um, so, so when he's talking about the, the righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and the Pharisees, do you think that He's alluding to the idea that he becomes our righteousness. Like, could be a good foreshadow. Yeah. I mean, because that, that's really the only righteousness that can exceed any of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even if we're talking about the good, the good ones, right? Like, the good Pharisees and, and scribes, like, I don't know. Because he's not talking about them in a negative light here mm-hmm. I mean so I think this is one of the few times actually that Jesus talks about the Pharisees in a positive light mm-hmm. well I think that that's important because I've always read it read the negative into it mm-hmm. you know what I mean so I, I mean which is unfair yeah no I, I don't disagree with you I mean you gotta think he's saying man if you are if you can be better than these people who already work very hard at being the best right no it says like, you have to. Yeah. Right? Not just if you can, but like right. you have to. Right. Like I think about some of the people who are who are the best, right? Michael Phelps. Um, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Michael Scott. Dunder Mifflin. Mike Tyson. How many more mics do we know? No. We're good. Michael Jackson. Uh, He's the king of pop. I mean. Michael W. Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But, right, Jesus is comparing. He's saying, if you're not better than these people, he's saying they do a good thing, but you have to be better. You have to be better in order to... Just in order to get in. Yeah. just right. And I think that that kind of contrast that Jesus already sets the bar so high early on, right? I mean, Sermon on the Mount was one of the first... Right, This is the beginning of Matthew. There's, I mean, so many more chapters in the book, right? There's so much more that happens in Jesus' life. This is one of the first recorded things... Um, in his life. And so he already sets the bar high and says, hey, like God's bar is set so high that even the best of the best can't reach it. Right. And I think that that is the beginning of the foreshadowing of it's not what you do. Mm -hmm. I mean, because what can you do more than, you know, not fulfilling the law, but keeping it, you know, Mm -hmm. what, 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 how can you be even more righteous than that? You know. Yeah, and then and then and, and and we have to think about who is delivering this. Jesus, He is the the light of the world. He is the saltiness that came to earth. He is the fulfillment of the law. Like He's saying, "Hey, God's bar is set high." So He's already saying, "Hey, this is a, a really high bar set." And then He's just going to deliver. Like Jesus is just going to deliver and be like, "Hey, actually." 
I'm the guy. I'm the I'm the I'm the pole vault that helps you over the bar, not the pole vault. What's the stick that they use that they run down and then they put it in the ground and it helps them? That's the pole vault. That is the pole vault. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. Oh man, I actually got a, a track reference right. Look at that. I didn't do track. I did swim. So we just you know swam back and forth mm-hmm. a lot. And called them laps. They were laps. I guess if you consider that, I guess it would be. I think it's really cool. Like, let's think about this for one hot minute. Of all the religions that have existed on the face of the earth, there's been thousands of them, hmm. at least. We right? can start a new one if you want. We probably could. We probably have. We're um, not going to. We're, we're going to call it Eschatology. Of all the religions on the face of the earth, we, we have this one that was born out of adversity and promised. And it was a very insignificant people in a rather insignificant place in the world that was had significance in its own unique way. And all of these promises were given and the story of creation was told. And through that, these laws were given to separate them. And it had to come through them. I mean, how many people claim to be the Messiah before Jesus came. Mountains of them. Every new yeah. every new warlord claimed to be the Messiah, right? The one that was going to liberate. And the way that they were going to do that was simply through the sword. So that they could garner power for their for their own wealth and status and privilege and influence. And then eventually they would die and somebody else would come along and do the same thing or stab them to death or whatever. But you've got Jesus that, that is spinning all of this stuff on its head and that is coming as a Jew in this, this place in the world that, that was tied to something grandiose at that time. I mean, when you consider the empires of the world, you, the Roman Empire is the one that everybody thinks about. I mean, it is, it is the, the premier empire that has existed in the world in the history since the in the since the history of the world, right? Um, some people talk about some other various various rules and reigns and empires, but this is the one that influenced the world at a point in place and time that allowed it to be recorded in this profound way. And then Jesus comes in this way, in this place. And I think about, so we're in the Christmas season, and this week we're going to talk about Joseph. Um, we're going to talk about Jojo. Um, and I, I love what it says to when the angel of the Lord, one of these angels of the Lord that appear to, to Jojo says, Hey, guess what? Um, Mary, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And when you take her as your wife, um, it's cool because what's conceived in her is, is from the Holy spirit and she's going to give birth to a son. So right there is a, a prophecy, right? Because, I don't know, did they have the magic pee and Drano trick or hold a needle over your belly and see which way it spins to tell you what kind of baby you're going to have? Wait, people do that. It used yeah, to yeah. be, yeah. Um, so the, the Spirit of the Lord's already saying you're going to have a boy. And I get it, 50-50 shot, right? <clears throat> what are you so, talking about? There's not an, a number? No, 50-50 shot. So, okay, maybe you get lucky there. You're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save people from their sins. He is the Messiah, but not the Messiah from the standpoint of world domination. 
he's the Messiah from the standpoint of spiritual domination. Like he's going to defeat all of the darkness that has crept into this world through the sins of humanity. And it's really cool that that's where Matthew starts. And then we get into this place where Jesus is talking about the law, how he's come to not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And you see all the prophecy that's revealed in the very beginning of Matthew. And you lean into these places so that we can understand more about who Jesus is and about what he's come to do and how he's come to create something, something different in the world. He, he's really come to call out and to create not a nation of people, but a church, which is so much more profound than a nation under the headship of one person, and that's Christ, and not because he wants all the wealth and all the status and all the privilege, but because he's God himself. Like, he's the creator of the universe. He, he, he doesn't just want it. He deserves it. Mm. And that's what comes from all of this. Jesus is the only one that can say these things, and it has any weight. Because he's God, and we're not. Right. Yeah. Solid, solid stuff. So, just just to wrap up, we we're, we're building on on last week's right. We're we're building on this whole um, sermon of the mount and what Jesus is getting at. And uh, I just want to reiterate uh, kind of the the sum up of what what it looks like to be blessed. Um, blessed. blessed. <clears throat> as far as as where we're at, so. Um, we're to humbly recognize our need for God, mourn for our sins, submit fully to God, passionately long for Christ, show mercy through forgiveness, kindness, and compassion, be purified from the inside out, have been reconciled to God through Jesus and bring his message to others, and be daring enough to openly live for Christ and willingly suffer persecution. And that truly is how that's the message we take to the rest of the earth that's how we express you know the light that's that's the light we're we're showing to others um that's the the flavor and the preservation of the earth that's how that's how we preserve our souls right is to become that those those blessed like that um and man jesus jesus shows us that it's not just it's not just the law that we need but we need the law and him Mm -hmm. to be to be able to be this blessed person um as they say so uh really neat uh, way of of opening up and looking looking at uh, a passage that many of us have heard over and over again time and time hopefully again and again um but putting it all together in in it it just it it unlocks it a little bit better than taking it just a section and and treating it as its own so um Hopefully you guys got some some new understandings. If not, uh, shoot us a message, uh, even if so. But shoot us a message. Tell us 
what you're thinking about all of this. Do you guys think that these are meant to be broken up? Do you think they flow together? Do you think that we're crazy? Um, all of those things are totally cool to text in. What? They know we're crazy. Well, that's true. Um, you guys are crazy for sticking with us and we really appreciate it. Um, you guys mean a lot to us, so uh, send us send us a message. You can do it on Facebook. A lot of people have been using Facebook. Um, you can send us an email at thetruthresponse at gmail.com. Um, man, stay salty and lit. God bless. Boom. Hey, thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and give us a like on iTunes and Spotify so that you will never miss a show. And while you're at it, check out our Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you tell your friends about this show. You don't want them to miss out on the truth because we are all about the truth. Thanks for joining us this week and God bless.